Hey, everybody, it's Baxi. Thank you so much for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to it, like it, share it with everyone you know. Even complete strangers like to hear new stuff from time to time. And if you get around to it, leave a big fat review of the show. That would be absolutely fantastic. Also, make sure you check out Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook for regular updates on what's coming up next on future episodes. There's also a ton of previous shows that you can catch up with, too. Either way, I appreciate you being here, and thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast. What is it? What is it? It's Baxi's Musical Podcast. There is this belief that in order to be a great guitar player, you have to be able to shred. You have to be able to run up and down the fretboard like your hands are on fire. You have to be able to cram about 10 billion notes into every song you play. But in my opinion, all of those things are totally unnecessary. And not to single anybody out, but I think we can all name a few names of exactly the sort of musicians that I'm talking about. The truth is that the greatest guitar players in the world aren't those kinds of guys. The truly great musicians are often great because of what they don't try to play. These are guys that show restraint, create breathing space, supply different textures, and often let the song dictate what is and what isn't necessary. To me, that's a whole lot more interesting than listening to a guy who's just simply trying to show off. Give me a guy that understands restraint and the unlimited emotional capacity of his instrument and that's a whole lot more interesting than a guy who has no idea what the hell I'm talking about. One of those guys that does know what I'm talking about is my guest today, Jim Fairchild. In 1995, Jim Fairchild joined the band Granddaddy, a band that he would stick with for the next 22 years and release five albums. But just before the band broke up in 2006, he became a touring member with a very successful indie rock band, Modest Mouse. And while his first run only lasted about a year, he would rejoin the band again in 2009 and continue as a touring member for the next 12 years and would appear on two of their albums, Stranger to Ourselves in 2009 and 2021's The Gold Casket. But Jim Fairchild's career didn't just stop there. In 2007, he released his first solo album, 10 Readings of a Warning, under the name All Smiles. Jim has released four albums as All Smiles, and in 2021, he released another solo album called The Valley, the Mountain, and the Sea under the name Small Isles. Last month, he released the latest Small Isles album, an instrumental record called Everything on Memory. And these are very atmospheric records that are absolutely beautiful. It's also been announced that the new Granddaddy album is coming out in February called Blue Wave. And the first two singles off that album, Water Cooler and Cabin in Mind, are just fantastic. More importantly, if you listen to what Jim Fairchild has recorded over the years, you begin to see a guy who understands that less can be more and that restraint can be incredibly powerful in creating mood and textures. And it's an amazing thing to listen to. But music has changed a lot over the years, not just in how it's recorded, but also how it's managed, both technologically and philosophically. But that hasn't prevented guys like Jim Fairchild from expanding what he does and how he approaches it. This is my conversation with guitarist Jim Fairchild on Baxi's Musical Podcast. How's it going? 
I'm really good. I want to. Uh, I got to apologize for uh, for last week. We we're supposed to talk, and I had this technological dumpster fire in the, in the house. And uh, so Dude, I, I th- all good. No worries. No, I thank you for being cool and and in uh, rescheduling this. You know, I mean, the funny thing about it is like <laughs> with all the talk of you know AI generating its its own music. I can't get Pro Tools from shitting all over itself. So it, you know, it's funny to me that one of the recurring themes about Granddaddy's music has been about the pitfalls of technology that. Looks like it hasn't gotten any easier for anybody. In fact, it may have even gotten worse. Yeah, I mean, maybe as we rely more and more on it, especially, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. if you don't, if you still think it could could exist without it, then maybe you're okay. I don't know. What you, what's your your uh, your feeling on the whole discussion about artificial intelligence and and music? I mean, do you do you see that going anywhere? Do you see the hurting music helping it? What's what's your your take on that? I think that overall, like the the AI discussion, it's, it's super real and it's, it's petrifying. Um, I don't feel good about it. It's like, I think we have to ask ourselves, it's a species question. Like, what do we want? Do we want to do nothing? Do we want to be brains in jars? I think for most people, the answer is yes, it's fine. To me, that's profoundly fucking sad, but I think that most people, the, the sad truth of it is that most people are going to be content to say like, make me a song that sounds like Max Richter and Slayer together. And the, <laughs> the machine will split out, spit out some really fucking crappy bullshit. And they'll be like, cool. Wow. The machine did that. That's amazing. I'm yeah. so the machine did this. And I, I think that most, the, the truth is like most people are going to be happy with that and it's going to happen on every level. I mean, I have like friends here who are like attorneys and they're, they're like, yeah, in five years, we don't have jobs. It's, it's over. I, I think you know, this may be a little esoteric. I don't I don't know. I mean, to me, the the, the appeal of great music is that there, it, it it brings you in touch with a certain level of humanity from the artist. And to say that a machine couldn't make music, it's just not going to be very good music. There's no there's no humanity or feeling or any of that. And it's just you know, I think if you're like a fan of music, it, that's always going to be a, a missing an important factor that 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 could be lost if we allow that to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you know, Nick Cave said, I'm paraphrasing grossly, but I think that a lot of what we're listening to when we really relate to something is there's the distance between the human who created it and the place that they were aspiring to get to. Yeah, That's what we're hearing in the, in the music that we listen to. And so, like, that's why he's magic, and that's why Max Richter and Slayer and, you know, fucking Gene Clark are magic. I personally, like, I'm not interested in it, and I also... I mean, I have a pretty grim view of it. Like, I think that all of these fucking dudes, like, did you read Ministry for the Future? I have not, no. It's amazing. I think that wealth and tech, like, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't, here we go. I don't really even (laughs) want to talk about this, but I I don't think that tech gets us out of the problems that we're facing because tech created not tech like on a computer level some of it is that technology created every problem we're facing we live in eden like we were we were born into a perfect place and we are the species that has fucked it up (laughs) period so when you have like musk or bezos or whoever saying like we're gonna like tech's gonna get us out of this it's like a couple of things i think like you, whatever you cap it out, let's just say it's a hundred million dollars. It's like, okay, you guys, here's the option. You get to keep a hundred million. The rest goes into, it gets tricky to figure out who, 
who the pot gets administered by and how it gets administered, but the rest goes into the pot from the commons because all these dudes who are billionaires have taken it by stealing. AI is the same thing. It has stolen human effort and it's concentrating all of that effort into like a, a you know, a range of like, let's just say 20 people. It's all dudes. And they're like, fuck it. We're going to take it all now. Yeah. And we're going to make your lives easier. Well, and it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, it's, it's when you think about how music and even, you know, you know, radio where my background is, you know, it really has gutted both of those industries you know the way to 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 survive in it is or hardly the way it it used to be i think for musicians it's it's now becoming even harder because you got to have like a like a million streams to make a you know a weekly paycheck and it's like you know at at, at what point do you say there has to be another way of doing this and there has to be a way where when ai and lawyers merge together and it winds up being nothing but copyright lawsuits all over the place you're going to run into a lot of complication that I don't even think that the the software engineers really truly understand. Even the, even the the architects of AI are saying, "Yeah, we don't know where this is going to go, and we don't think it's going to go very well." <laughs> even even they're saying it. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't have a favorable viewpoint of it. Yeah. I don't I don't care like that. It could make it easier for me to like download a synth that Brian Eno used. I just I don't. I'm not interested in it. I think it's yeah. bad for humanity. Just like straight up, there. I don't. I don't like. I'm not equivocating on it. I think. I think it's going to be super, super destructive. So let me ask you about some other stuff, and let, rather than focus on the doom and gloom of everything, um, there's a there is a lot going on with you right now. You've you've released some of your own music. Granddaddy's about to release new music in in February. A, a compilation came out this summer. The the new album Blue Wave comes out. Uh, in a couple of months, it's the first record from Granddaddy in about seven years. What what brought you guys, uh, you know, back together for another run of this? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, there's no you guys. It's, uh, I mean, Jason and I are in touch all the time, and we, you know, we are hatching plans all the time about Granddaddy. But it, like, none of us had anything to do with the record besides Jason. It's it's a it's a solo record, which I encouraged him to release as a Granddaddy record, actually, but. <laughs> Um, it's, it's funny you say that because like, if you go on the granddaddy website or, you know, any of the articles that have been written about it, it says, you know, Jason and company. So it assumes that like all of you are involved in it. So that's, so it's really not that at all. No. Yeah. Which is, which is fine that like, um, I think there, there's a possibility and I love that record. I think he, he made a wonderful record. Yeah. I just like it in full disclosure. Like I don't have anything to do with it and neither does anybody else in the band. Um, <laughs> But that's not sour grapes. Like I, again, he like played me an early version of the record, and was talking about releasing it, you know, as a new project and stuff. I was like, just do it as Granddaddy. Like, just yeah, <laughs> make it easy on yourself and the fan. Because you know, <laughs> ultimately, like he is the the creative voice of that thing, a hundred percent. So, um, I think that you know, maybe we go out and play some shows. Maybe it uh, sort of broadens into a a wider endeavor, whatever that might mean. I don't really know. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 Jason and I talk about granddaddy more now than we have in probably 20 some years. So <laughs> who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. I mean, you guys, have, but he made a, he made a beautiful record. Yeah. No, the, I mean the first uh, two singles, water cooler and going to the cabin are absolutely, I agree. They're totally beautiful songs. 
But it's interesting because, yeah. I mean, you guys, like you said, you've been involved in Granddaddy one way or another over the course of, of 22 years, and, and, and you've all been through a lot together. I mean, there's been breakups and reformations and, and the death of Kevin Garcia. I mean, that's a lot yeah. for anybody to go through, for any band, for any group of people to go through. And grief is not a linear you know, prospect. Everyone grieves at their own, their own pace and in their, their own way. As you remain a band or, 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 you know, if the focus is to remain a band in some fashion, that can't really be the easiest thing to, to manage through. It, it must be somewhat delicate to move forward after all those things have happened over the years. It's a couple of things. I think it's delicate, but it's also reflexive. You know, like those, those relationships, the things that you experience doing something like that, maybe especially coming from a place like Modesto where our objectives were like not really that clear. And then, and then it was only to be great in whatever way we could be. And then when, when the, when the objectives expand far beyond where you could have imagined experiencing that with those personalities is like such a cementing crucible, really. Like I remember um, not very long before Kevin passed away. I had to leave the last granddaddy tour because Natasha and my wife had just gotten pregnant. We had just moved into a house. I left her in this like house full of boxes and she had, you know, morning sickness. And it was like, you guys, I can't do this. I gotta, I gotta go home. Yeah. It's not fair to Natasha, you know, which they were totally understanding about. But right before I left, I had this realization, man, where like I was looking around the, the van that we were traveling in, in Europe. And I just had this, profound moment of like satisfaction and love where it's like everything in my life that I really care about comes from my relationship with these four people except with the exception of my parents like everything I have you know yeah. my life my wife a life in music all of it stems from what I have with these people and so that that reality makes it so that like no matter what whenever we get together kind of even in theory it's like it's more powerful than almost anything you know yeah. so when you suggest to to uh to jason you know to release this as a as a granddaddy record uh-huh I, I mean that's a kind of a selfless thing for for you to even suggest because i mean you have been a part of the history of of, of that band i mean do you see it that way does he see it that way you know man i don't i don't know i mean i guess maybe it is and maybe Maybe he sees it that way. I think, you know, as I've gotten older, a few things have become very clear to me. Um, and among those is the idea that, like, if I'm totally honest, like, I I put and all of us put way too much pressure on Jason, like, because we didn't know how to exist outside of the context of the songs that he created, basically. And then as I've progressed in this life of music, like, I've done all these other things in addition to whatever I have done with granddaddy. Right. So it's like, I have made a bunch of music on my own. And at this point, I feel like I'm making better music than I ever have almost in any context. And that's, it's definitely not on my own, but it's outside of the context of granddaddy. Sure. Or maybe it's not, but it's without their participation. And then, you know, I was in modest mouse for a long time and I've, done the job at danger bird and i've produced other people and so now it's just like 
it feels more important to me that that music exists as potentially granddaddy because anything that could draw people back to that endeavor you know like the overall thing of granddaddy anything that could do that is is good you know like i think jason is an extraordinary songwriter a lot of his best work has been i mean he released a couple of solo records but a lot of his best work has been under the granddaddy name and umbrella no matter what how that stuff was created and so at this point in my life it's just it's just a part of a, a critical essential part but it's a part of what i do it's not everything and with that realization then i think the <laughs> the way that it exists and is contextualized doesn't feel as like i don't know um life and death i guess yeah <laughs> So I, I have spent a good deal of time listening to uh, your record, Everything on Memory. You know, I think one of the things that, that, that really impresses me about you, and, and not just in your solo work, but really in, in everything that you've done, is you play and write music with a great deal of, of restraint, and there's, there's atmosphere and texture to it. And it's really quite beautiful. And, and not every musician embraces that or even understands all of that. Tell me about how oh, thank you. you settled into that space, because I think it's a really significant point about what you do. When, as I was listening to it you know, just last week, I'm going, you know, this is a really, you know, you, you mentioned Brian Eno. There's, there's a part of me that kind of sees a little bit about like Brian Eno's ambient music, but, you know, but it's certainly very much your own. Tell me about how you, you, you settled into that pocket. I mean, like anything, it's, it's, it's a mosaic of so much stuff. You know, part of it was like in, in the wake of me having been a granddaddy for a lot of my life and starting to play with modest mouse for the first time in 2005 and unpacking those songs, you know, Isaac and, and modest mouse songs are so simple comparatively, like, mm -hmm. which is not to say that they, they're any less elegant or composed or whatever, but the fundamentals of them are a lot more simple. There's that. And then like really starting to address why I loved country music. A lot of that music is very simple. And then also, part of always part of what I've listened to has been scores. I've always loved scores since I was a teenager. And so that, that carries back over to like getting into the, some of the Brian Eno stuff and cluster and maybe Noi and things like that, where it's just like, it's just kind of a groove that goes on or talking heads even where it's just like, it could be a groove for five minutes, you know? But I think at this point in my life, I first, I really appreciate you saying that, but it, I couldn't have made this, any of this music when I was even in like my thirties, you know, I, I had to get around to the point where it's just like, stop trying to impress yourself by impressing other people or something <laughs> like that with your, just like it can kind of be reflexive. I mean, that first song on um, everything on memory, sure. I'm happy. It wasn't until we got done tracking it that, you know, Jacob and I were talking about it and it's like, Oh, there's only two chords there. Yeah. That's, that's it's just two chords that repeat for, whatever it is, like almost five minutes, I think. But it's like, I think before I would have been like, oh, I, I need to, I need to get more information in here, because this makes that more of a, a song, a complete thing or whatever. And I just don't feel that way anymore. Yeah. Well, that's just the thing. I think there, there are so many musicians that feel this temptation that that more is more when in fact, less is more that you know, the, the true greatness of guitar players is what they don't play rather than what they they do play. It's not just guitar players too, because you know drummers do it, singers do it, 
keyboard players, you know, certainly do it. And they, they overplay and it doesn't necessarily serve what's best for the song. Just like you're saying in this case, you know, you hear the song and say, well, do I need more? Well, you know, maybe I don't because it's, it's more powerful on its own without all the extra stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's, that's, I can't say it any better than that. That's just, that's just the thing is, but it's, I think that for me, you know, maybe some people get that younger, but for me, it just took a long time to get around to that, being comfortable with that idea. Like, well, that's, I guess that's done. Yeah. Or maybe like, maybe the arrangement can, you know, provide the additional bit of twists and turns and departures that I, cause I still want all of that stuff to happen, but maybe it just doesn't before I'd be like, well, you know, we've got this, whatever, five chord sequence that happens for the entire song but then we need to make sure that there's one other thing that really like bends my ear but maybe that other thing is like completely switching up the instrumentation or making it even simpler you know like there's a lot of ways to skin the cat but for me at this point in my life is like especially the scoring work that I do like I I'm always just thinking like what is the least amount that I can put in here and still and still get the message across so unlike other stuff that you've done like like all smiles is very different from small isles i mean the small isles record is an instrumental project when you're mm -hmm. writing music specifically for an instrumental are you do you find yourself writing differently because you don't have the additional burden of trying to squeeze lyrics into or is it, is it really the same process without lyrics in other words would you find yourself writing music for the purpose of having lyrical content in there as opposed to just having the instrumentation sing the song for you yeah I, th I mean i think i guess it is different somehow um i i'm so in this world right now like i <laughs> i'm so into this idea that there is narrative that's implied but not explicated um so i'm trying to get that across with with color and and sonic color and and you know melodic gestures and things like that um but again, saying all that, like, it's just been so long since I've, like, I haven't made any lyrical music for about five years now. So I guess it right now it just feels like part of a continuum, you know, like, maybe I'll get back to it. I don't know. Um, but I guess it just seems like an extension of, because I'm trying to do basically the same thing, like, you know, make the listener make myself feel something like embody some place that, you know, doesn't exist. But, you know, I a big thing with small aisles is that we're told so much now, like we're just bombarded with information and I'd want there, not that this is not information, but I, but I, I just don't want it to have an explicit perspective. There's a lot of implication there because of the types of sounds and tones and chord structures, but I just don't want to be as explicit as giving people any words besides the song titles. I can see that. And I think that a lot of artists kind of go into these phases and, you know, go into these, these areas where it hasn't been completely tapped through. It hasn't been complete. It hasn't been completed. And so to build these soundscapes and, you know, there, I mean, there's tons of artists that have, that have done the, the very same thing. You know, I think until you've gotten to that point where you say, okay, now I have, I, I have exhausted this, that you stay there until you're ready to move on to the next thing. And that could be anything. I don't know if, if, if you feel yourself kind of morphing into that in that way, or, or is, it, is, it, is it different for you? Um, I guess the, the way that I could answer that most comfortably is like, as much as I've been in music for so long now, the most important part 
for me at this point, and like there's so many examples of this, successful examples. Pharrell would be one. Mm-hmm. You know, Damon Albarn is another one. I think Eno is another one where it's just like, just go and do the work. Like, you don't have to. You don't have to work like actual bankers' hours. I, I don't think I could do eight hours a day, but I need to go to the studio like five days a week, um, a lot of the weeks out of the year, and go through the process of interrogating what it is that is intriguing about music to me right now. Yeah. Like that's, I need to, I need to solve those riddles. And you hope that, um, or my hope is that over time, as I solve more of them to my satisfaction, that they're, you know, because music, what I, one thing that I definitely have realized over the last few years is it's infinite. Like as much as I know about Western song or whatever, like those chord sequences and those melodies and things, I don't know anything about music. I mean, cause it's just, <laughs> It's just like, if you're going to go, you know, you're going to go to Columbia or go to Mali or, you know, like my wife and my son both do um, Muay Thai, which is like Thai kickboxing. There's like the Sarama music. I don't know anything about music, you know? And so my hope is that as I solve those riddles, you know, it just reveals the infinity of, of those riddles. Right. So there's more and more and more, which is to say that it could be like in a year I'm, back uh trying to only make lyrical songs or you know like jason and i are working on something or like isaac and i are writing who knows what uh, you know like a i don't know you know but i i just want to stay in it enough to know that there's these additional paths unfolding and i need to i need to continue to like because it's man michael it's such a i'm you know i'm old now and i have i have a son and i appreciate I don't feel old, like I, I'm healthier than I've been and I can run further and all these different things. But, but, you know, the fact is like to a 22 year old kid, they're like that old dude's making music. So <laughs> I'm gotten to the point where I'm comfortable being sentimental about the following, which is like, I can't believe that I get to do this still. Like, and I'm so appreciative of it that like, you know, I'm working on this the small aisles thing just came out. I have two records in my head that I'm starting for next year, two more small aisles records. I'm scoring a TV show. I'm scoring a movie. There's Mm. talk of doing stuff with other people, you know, people that I've worked with in the past that I've been talking to, you know, both the guys I just talked about, like, what else could we do? The point is like, I feel like it's a, it's a tremendous gift for sure, but also responsibility. Like I get to do this. This is crazy, man. I think part of that is the aging process because I'm a little bit older than you. And I think yeah, as I know, as I've aged, I've kind of you know, a little bit more in touch with gratitude for what, you know, for the things that are in, that are in my life, the things that I can do, the things that, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for the things I no longer have to do. I mean, you know, this, I think as you, as you, you go through the, the years, you know, you, you really start to understand what you've been through. I mean, there's a certain kind of, you know, self-awareness that kind of, you know, pops up over the years. It sounds that's kind of like what, uh, what you've been going through too, with, uh, with music and, and with the people in your life. Totally, man. That's, I don't know. Natasha, Natasha, she's like, God, you're fuck-. She's younger than me. She's like, she doesn't say this explicitly, but basically like, God, you corny old sappy dude. But like, <laughs> I look at her and I'm just like, I can't believe that I have this, this relationship with you, this love, you know, and like, now we have a son and we have two dogs and we live on a mountain in Ohio. And it's like, 
there are struggles and all these different things like and you gotta you gotta stay on it and you know we gotta pay the bills and all these things but like I can't believe that we are where we are in this life and so along with that and then back to the Jason thing like there were times in my life where I really resented Jason most of that was super like misdirected I love Jason he's like he's that's all I can say is I love him and I appreciate where our relationship is and it's the same with Isaac like yeah. you know I left his band but you know we still talk about things and 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 uh it's not I haven't foreclosed the possibility neither of us have foreclosed the possibility that we will continue to be able to do something because ultimately it's like there's just so much love for all of the steps in the process that led me to this place where I'm talking to you like on a you know <laughs> It's crazy, man. I, I do want to ask you a little bit about uh, Modest Mouse for a second, because, you know, you have been like a touring member, I think, starting back in, in 2005. You've been, you know, with them in, in many different ways over over the years. How did you get to be involved with them? How did, how did that start? Well, the short answer is that Natasha and I were lived in uh, Portland for the summer in 2005. Um, and Dan Gallucci was leaving the band and Isaac knew that I was in town. We weren't friends at that point. We didn't, I mean, we had met a couple of times, but we didn't know each other really. And he he's he was in a granddaddy. And so Dan was leaving the band and they needed somebody to fill in for the last shows that they were doing for the good news for people who love bad news record. And he just he just called me out of the blue. He got my number from Joe Plummer, um, who remains a close friend who was in the band at that time, and uh, you know, just said, Hey, will you play these shows with us? And then there was, you know, the period of time when Johnny Marr was in the band. Um, so there were like a lot of different ways that it could have worked. The way that it worked out was that Johnny joined the band for, you know, almost three years. And then at the end of 2008, Isaac called me again and was like, you know, Johnny can't do these next runs. Can you do them? And then I was just in the band again. I was just in the band from, from, you know, the end of 2008, I think we started practicing until I left in 2021. And we wrote some, you know, we wrote for Strangers to Ourselves, which is the record that came out in 2015. Um, and I co-wrote that, the last big single from uh, last record that came out, The Golden Casket. You know, and then and then we lost Jeremiah almost yeah. a year ago. So, like, I don't, I mean, I don't, it's never really been the nature of Isaac and my relationship that, uh, you know, we we remain in constant contact. Definitely when we lived in Portland, we would see each other a lot. But, you know, the, I guess the headline is I love Isaac and I love making music with him. I love his band and I love that world that he's created. And um, that's it. You know, I'm really proud of, you know, there's a few songs that he and I made together that are among my favorites that I've ever been a part of making. It's uh, it's funny because, you know, when, when I when I hear you talk about that and, and you know, the things that I know of, of, of Modest Mouse, if I had been you, and I had been in your shoes at the time, 2006, I would have told everybody I knew that the only person that could replace me would have been Johnny Marr from the Smiths. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be telling that bullshit story to everybody. <laughs> and I'd be telling everybody when he left, he was okay, but they really wanted me back. That's what, that's the other part I would have, I would have told everybody. Yeah. Life is really so <laughs> funny. Um, I, you know, because I saw Johnny right when the Smiths broke up, he was playing guitar for the Pretenders. And I was, I don't know, 13 or 14 or something like that, yeah. like a kid. 
and Johnny wasn't that much older. I think Johnny's only like 10 or 11 years older than me, but he was, you know, in like his early twenties, he had already done all this crazy stuff, but you know, he's like, he's a person who's been in my life with me as a fan for, you know, decades. And then, you know, he's a legend. And I remember, so I practiced with Modest Mouse. We played these shows. And then at the end of these shows, this is in the fall of 2005, at the end of these shows, Isaac's like, hey, man, uh, I just wanted to tell you, you know, before we met you, I love playing with you, but we asked Johnny Marr to come out and write a couple of songs with us. And I was just like, oh, fuck, <laughs> shit. Um, it's <laughs> like, oh, I, now I'm in competition with Johnny Marr. This is crazy. Um, I mean, life, I don't know, dude, life is, or my life has been very it's been more bizarre than I probably would have predicted, <laughs> but also this is, this is always what I wanted to do. Like, this is, you know, starting with that era of like watching Johnny and going to see Metallica at that at the around the same time and U2 and uh, Iron Maiden and all these thrash bands from the Bay area of violence. And then early Primus, like it's, a, it was always a case of like, Oh, like, this is what I want to do. This is what I, I feel like I could be good at this. I could add something to the conversation. And now with knowing that there's probably less of my life in front of me than behind me, like <laughs> I really want to be deliberate about not only adding to that conversation. Um, a great part about the the work that I do at Danger Bird is, is uh, being able to pass along those, all these lessons to people who are often younger than me, younger musicians, people like Brendan from Millie and the, the people from mediocre, um, you know, like being able to not only talk to them about music, but all the stuff that surrounds it. And like this, this might be a way that you could make a life in this world, because if you strip away all the artifice and, and bullshit, which I think those younger kids are a little better at than we were even like it is, it is a cool thing. I wanted to ask you about, about that because you've been with Danger Bird is the A and R director since I think like around what 2020, like just around uh, the pandemic starting or so. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. I so, mean, I consulted with them throughout 19 and then or late 18, early 19, and then and then 2020, I took over as the director. Yep. So let me ask you this because when it comes to you know, being on the independent label level, you're looking at a lot of young artists. Many are not terribly established yet. They're really kind of looking thing, through things and and. Uh, through you know you know wide eyes and rose colored glasses and and all that, what are you looking for when it comes to a new artist, especially now when things are so as you know we started talking about you know things being in, in such flux in the in the music business. What what kind of artists are you are you looking for, and and which ones do you most appreciate working with? Well, you know the the shortest answer at the fundamental level is it's just like making music. It has to be like this reflexive response. Like, yep, that, that I dig. And then from there, I mean, it just becomes, you know, I've, I think I've gotten better at figuring out how I would be able to help people really. But um, uh, from there, it's like talking to them about what their objectives are. Can I be in any way like generative and can the label be generative and, and uh, you know, productive with those desires and, and, and in collaboration with those desires, but also like, it's so hard to to do this for a living there's not everybody has the things that would be required to especially now to do all of the stuff that you have to do to make people aware that you exist you know right. it's just so it's like do, do you i guess the second level to it beyond the reflexive appreciation for their music is do you have 
the energy and capacity to to do all the stuff to tour and make people aware that you exist you know it's <laughs> right it's not easy and then to educate yourself on on business too because that's such a, a a big part of it now the artist has to be involved in in every aspect of what they do business and marketing and merchandising and all that stuff the stuff that puts food on the table for musicians yeah and i you know i try to be really i don't try to be i that's one of my biggest responsibilities in that world is like these are your copyrights these are the ways that you can make money um and and you have to be because nobody told us that stuff when we first got signed in granddaddy really like yeah. we kind we kind of knew what the master copyright was and we kind of knew what the pub copyright was but not really you know and so like i want them to have a very clear understanding of what all of that is like from the jump and it's like okay we're gonna you know using fictional numbers but like we're gonna loan you $50. It's favorable. Like it's a, it's indie label. It's 50, 50 after, but like, we're going to loan you 50 bucks. It's not, this is not a gift. You know what I mean? So you're responsible for this and and we're happy to do it. And, and like, nobody's going to chase you for it if you don't get it back, but this is real money and you're responsible for it. So, you know, take their resources, right? Like, what are you going to do with those resources and do let's, let's choose the allocation of those responsibly in a way that's going to actually like because you know whatever it is to say somebody you know is like well you got to have high dollar videos and it's like well let's let's think about this for a second you know like maybe you're not the right person to have that because like your type of music only gets this many maximum would that money be spent better in this other thing like you going out and touring or whatever like there's no right answer but like let's actually think about this I would assume that, uh, you know, any young kid who's doing this for the very first time, those are really important lessons to learn. I mean, it's, it's their future, you know, especially, you know, copyright and publishing, all those things that, you know, so many other artists have just gotten screwed over, you know, the, the decades and generations of, of music to, to know that stuff now, I think is going to be a really important lesson for a lot of these young kids. Yeah. I mean, I hope so. It, it like that can inform you in very positive ways. It shouldn't feel like intimidating or whatever. It's, it's all simultaneously completely opaque and arcane but also like pretty simple it's like there's a lot of resource extraction that can happen along the path but uh but here are your resources you know there are not that many of them well jim look i, I had a uh, i'm so glad we were able to redo this and uh <laughs> finally hey thank you find, michael yeah. i appreciate it man yeah best of luck with the record and i, and I hope you know, i hope you just continue to have success and, and gratitude and everything else hey thank you so much for digging in and listening and, and being there for music thanks jim we appreciate right, I appreciate man. the time take care The name of the new album from Jim Fairchild, Small Isles, is called Everything on Memory. And yes, there is a new granddaddy record coming out next month. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember to like it, review it, and subscribe to it. Be sure to follow our regular updates on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And you can also email me at bagsatrock102.com. I'd love to hear what you think. Thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.